Thanks for listening to Louder Vision, the podcast for all you creative people out there. I'm your host, filmmaker and artist, Laura Mioli. If you want to find out more about me and get creative tips and inspiration, you can visit loudervision.com. I'll get down to editing talk real soon, but first I want to tell you about something I've created just for you. As editors, filmmakers, photographers, we're sometimes perfectionists, but we don't always get photos that are as perfect as we envision them. I've deleted hundreds of shots thinking they were not salvageable, lighting wasn't good, backdrop didn't work, lipstick on my teeth, or even a reflection in my glasses. Don't waste your time anymore throwing away shot after shot when all it takes is a little Photoshop magic. Don't be scared, even if you've never used Photoshop before, or maybe you have and you're tired of just wasting photos, I definitely want to recommend my Photoshop crash course. It's quick and absolutely free. Plus, it's a great skill to add to your repertoire, your resume, and once you know the tips, you could even throw some of these flawless photos into your videos. It's super easy and completely free. Just go to lauramioli.com freebie and get your free Photoshop tutorial. It's my gift to you. Again, lauramioli, that's me, dot com slash freebie. One more item of news, I want to announce my partnership with The Sound Live. It's a great website with music news focusing on the underground scene and even bigger artists in the New York area. What I really like is that it helps local photographers expand their portfolio and gives local musicians a boost. So if you want to get involved as a photographer or as a musician, or if you just love music and great concerts, go to thesoundlive.com. I'll be speaking to the founder in an upcoming episode. So please make sure to subscribe to the Louder Vision podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, or iTunes so that you don't miss it. Today's guest is Janice Vogel. She is a video editor working in post-production for multiple feature films, music videos, and documentaries. She also edits MTV's True Life, Teen Mom, Teen Mom 2, 16 and Pregnant, and AMC's new original series, Feed the Beast. Currently, she's also editing a pilot for a TNT series called Civil. And in her spare time, which I don't know where she finds any spare time, Janice is also co-president of the Blue Collar Post Collective, which you can join at bluecollarpostcollective.com or on their Facebook group. And you can find out more about Janice and her masterful editing at janicevogel.com. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you. I want to know first about this series pilot that you're editing for TNT. Yeah, it's called Civil, and it's about a modern-day civil war breaking out due to election tensions. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely relevant, and I um, am really excited about it. I'm actually the assistant editor on the pilot, Mm -hmm. and um, it's the first show that I've worked on that I really am excited to watch. Um, Oh, cool. So keep that on the DL, but it's also, (laughs) you know, that's a, a... that's a big um, honor for me right now. Mm-hmm. So um, when you say it's a civil war, is it a period piece or? No, no. It's about 2016 uh, oh. election type. It's a fictional election mm-hmm. in 2016 that um, sort of breaks down into a civil war. Into a, the U.S. just descends into chaos. Basically. Well, let's hope this doesn't happen for real. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so. But things are pretty weird out there, I would say. Um, Definitely. And, you know, I really love the show. It's, there's a strong female lead in the pilot, mm-hmm. and that that's really fun. Um, and 
yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm working um, with Brad Carpenter, who's the mm-hmm. post producer, and um, Chuck Willis is the editor on it, and uh, he's a commercial editor, mm-hmm. uh, and this is his first narrative television show. Ooh. So I know we'll later we'll talk about transitioning yeah. careers, but so that's really fun. And um, it was directed by Alan Coulter, who mm-hmm. has done um, everything from The Sopranos to Boardwalk Empire. So Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, how did you get this thing. juicy piece of work on your on your desk? How did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, before this, I was working on AMC's Feed the Beast. Mm-hmm. And that was also post-produced by Brad Carpenter. So mm-hmm. he brought me on. And I think what um, what happens is like you either you get, you know, you, it's a, you get work from the people you're working with. Uh-huh. Um, I had been working with an editor before that, and I went on to AMC's Feed the Beast with that editor. And then I, I piggybacked with, with um, Brad onto this TNT show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see what happens next. But I, you know, I'm hoping to maybe edit a commercial. Yeah. Uh, so... It's it's just like a little leapfrogging, always scary freelancing, uh-huh. but um, yeah, sometimes you you know land something good. So. Yeah. So do you technically have your own production company, or you're working just on certain projects that come your way? Yeah, I just I just work on certain projects that come my way. Oh, I'm um, I'm in the union, so I feel a little bit more uh, protected than I did before that. Um, okay. Uh, before that, I felt like um, it was all kind of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a nice change, and I really am a big supporter of the union and union shows and mm-hmm. um, making people aware of the union and <laughs> navigating it. Um, the editors' union is particularly welcoming in mm-hmm. that you can join if you get a union gig there's a bit of a catch-22 because okay. you have to find that job and somebody willing to hire you but once somebody wants to hire you you can just go and sign up I mean there you know there are still barriers to entry mm-hmm. in that it is very expensive to join okay um and that's hard but so I realized that so is um, it like a sponsorship thing like they'll p- take you on even though you're not in the union but they really prefer people who are or well it's that like in that when they when they hire you uh in the weeks that you have until the job starts you Mm -hmm. can go and sign up for the union and pay your dues but Mm -hmm. but if i realize that if you can't afford those dues then there's still a big yeah hurdle Is so. there a website or or something you can recommend to people to learn more about the union or to find union jobs? Well, yeah, it's the Motion Picture Editors Guild dot com. Mm-hmm. That's where you find more information about the union. Yeah, awesome. So I'll put that link in the description so people can take a look at that. I'm just so impressed by you because it seems like you're just living the dream. You have found your passion, which is editing, and a lot of people are very scattered about. They like different things like me, for example. I like a lot of different things. I like variety. I like directing, editing, shooting, teaching, all these things, (laughs) podcasting. So, I mean, for me, like, I like a lot of stuff. And editing is Mm -hmm. one of my passions for sure. But you have narrowed in on and zeroed in on editing. And you're getting all these great shows from it. 
how did you do this and tell <laughs> us about your journey <laughs> um i am gonna say that the biggest key was that when i was 20 i was like you know what i'm gonna give myself until i'm 30 to figure out what i want to do okay i think that there's a lot of pressure to know what you want to do mm-hmm. right out of high school what's your major what's your major um and I think that there's a lot of like fear in that pressure like societal Mm -hmm. fear um and it's important to ignore that and take your time Mm -hmm. and explore and figure out what your skills and your passions and like the environment you want to be in and people you want to work with and like find, find what gels in all of those respects. Um, I, I was a, you know, photographer in high school and I went to, um, city college for cinematography. And Mm -hmm. then I, you know, randomly took, an internship, one more internship after grad school. And I was, um, the receptionist at a post house. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of got a glimpse into that world, um, and was really drawn to color correction for the photography Mm -hmm. relationship. Um, and it's a good foundation. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, uh, one of the things I always, grappled with was like do I want to be outside or do I want to be inside yeah like just nature or like the cave the cave <laughs> exactly and the cave won in the end which um I'm surprised about it but air conditioning it does <laughs> it does and yeah you can find solitude um mm-hmm. um but you can also like have a crazy party in a cave so yeah I think it's in a in some ways it's both more stable and more versatile um yeah so yeah there's there's a lot of things that determine like what what you want to do and what works best Mm -hmm. um but I I took a little break from work and actually like thought I would leave the industry forever I was um post-producing I was post-producing um, reality television. I, mm-hmm. I got my start as a PA on 16 and Pregnant and worked my way up wow. to um, post-producing. Mm-hmm. I, um, my you know, boss and mentor, Dia Sokol Savage, and mm-hmm. um, the person she runs the show with, Morgan J. Freeman, they, they actually uh, fostered me being able to explore different positions because mm-hmm. I, I went from being a post producer to taking what I called a break, but really I just um, started shooting and I had a more flexible schedule that way. And I was like waitressing and shooting Mm -hmm. reality TV. And um, then, then the physical and the pressure to be spontaneous um, in, in being a freelance camera person yeah, was rough. yeah I, <laughs> I became terrified of my telephone and I knew that I had to change my life <laughs> so I was like where do they want to send me and where what kind of lighting environment do they want me to where were they sending you was it like terrible plate like dungeons and stuff no like... no not at all not at oh. all but what some people find exciting is like 
going and doing an interview on the side of a cliff. Um, and like, you know, just people get really excited about different lighting environments. And I under, I understand the nature of somebody who's truly meant to be a DP. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I, I didn't feel like that was the path for me. Um, and I started, you know, I started sort of bridging the gap by shooting music videos. And then I was Mm -hmm. editing music videos that I shot and I was working with, um, Silas Howard, who now directs transparent and we were like making music videos and short films together. And Mm -hmm. so I got to bridge between those areas. Um, and I had, I had started editing in college and really loved it. I couldn't leave Mm -hmm. the editing suite. And my first, my first film professor was a, an experimental film artist. Mm -hmm. And she really, uh, showed me work that still inspires me to this day, mm-hmm. um, like uh, Maya Darren okay. and uh, Wong Kar Wai, which isn't experimental per se, but mm-hmm. um, just really, really cool work that I still look back to. And I, so I fell in love with editing then, but okay. I never like saw it as a career path. Um, I was like afraid of it in some ways, but mm. um why were you afraid of it? <laughs> um, sometimes, like the the technical pressure uh, seemed daunting, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes I was like, "This is too fun. I can't do this for money. Like, <laughs> this is a passion." And yeah. I, I didn't really know whether I was good at it. I just liked doing it. Um, so, so, but it became like a no brainer uh, when I was later making music videos and things like that. I was like, "Ooh, I'm." I'm like enjoying the technical aspects of this. I'm enjoying the creative aspects. I'm like able to be myself with all these post weirdos. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a good, it it just worked. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, You said when you were, you had like a goal of when you were 30. So did because I just turned 30 as well I'm still up in the air but (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's still thing like 30 does not mean like that's it definitely not I think what was more important is that I gave myself 10 years okay not the age I'm certainly not ageist I you know I think that one of one of my new arbitrary goals is to like maybe write a film and direct it when I'm 50 Mm -hmm. maybe maybe I'll have enough life experience then to like make Mm -hmm. something so you're just giving yourself like these long deadlines yes. that you're flexible. It's like I'm being like kind to yes. myself that I I want to do this, but I, it's I'm not like putting it as like I need to do it this year. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. That's a good way to be. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It, it takes uh, takes some pressure off. There's enough pressure living in New York City and yeah, Sunday and being an editor and, and being an editor. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> No, the technical part of editing is very, very intimidating, especially for someone coming in or maybe someone who's like taking a break from editing because there's a new software every year and then you're constantly having to learn what is the new thing. And then they expect you to be like color correction, audio editing, like all these different things. It's not the same as it used to be where what they teach you in film school, which is like, oh, you're just editing the picture together and someone else takes it from there. Right. So right. it's it's so much more responsibility now. I love that. So <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think it's important to continue learning all the time. But mm-hmm. I think it's also important to make sure that the industry provides 
ways for people to learn. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, I run an organization called the Blue Collar Post Collective. Yeah. We have that goal in mind to, to provide educational experiences as well as all the other things we do for our members, which we can, we can talk about. But um, yeah. yeah, education is huge. And, um, you know, whether we are posting educational stuff on our Facebook or doing workshops, we've got a workshop for Mocha 5 coming up. Um, mm-hmm. And we've, we've done colorist master classes and we have editor conversations, um, which, which delve into technical and, um, theoretical aspects of, of editing in mm-hmm. various genres. Um, and then we, we do like Facebook live tech talks, which, mm-hmm. which where, you know, leaders in post-production technology, mm-hmm. um, speak candidly about products, technology, program software. Um, we, we had Al Mooney from Adobe, uh, talk all about Premiere. Mm-hmm. And so we're really focused on, on making education accessible to people in the industry and make, making mm-hmm. it less daunting. And yeah, once you pick a software or an application, you're kind of, that's what you bought. That's what you have. And unless they're going to give you updates, then you, right. you, when are you going to get a chance to learn something else? I mean, like, fi- or you say you ha- you're doing Final Cut 7 and then your company, maybe they didn't spring for Final Cut 10 or Premiere. Like, how are you supposed to know all these other right. softwares unless, like, your company will sponsor it or, like, you can join a cool place like the Blue Collar Post Collective? I mean. Well, luckily, you can join that for free. Then that's the great thing about us. But mm-hmm. um, and finding other free ways to learn. Like I um, got my first assistant edit job on the show Teen Mom Two, mm-hmm. and um, I learned Avid in two weeks on nice. Linda dot com. Yes. Don't tell my boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sure, I get it. I understand. Because um, it's not, you know, I, I mean, what worked, did you know before that? What was your previous experience? My previous experience was as a post producer, like double clicking on a clip and watching it mm-hmm. and maybe making some locators okay. um, and understanding the organization of mm-hmm. of a project, you know, how okay. things are organized by spins and scenes and mm-hmm. whatever else. But um, yeah, I needed a, a fast crash course and... Um, you know, having a foundation and a few things you need to know for yes. assistant editing, mm-hmm. like um, grouping, mm-hmm. command, shift, G, um, <laughs> and grouping, transcoding, um, how to bridge between the finder window and the project window in Avid. Mm-hmm. Um, just like those basic things will show that you have respect for the process and like at that point you can and should ask other people for advice and support as things mm-hmm. come up. So I was lucky to be, you know, second assistant and was able to learn a lot from the lead assistant. Okay. Um, so I think it's like important for incoming assistant editors to work in environments where they're not the only assistant editor. Mm-hmm. Um, which is often hard because like night shifts are often entry level. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, that's, that's one thing that happens a lot on our blue collar Facebook page is people asking technological questions. Um, 
and troubleshooting with the greater community. I'm actually prepping for a short film right now and have been on the Blue Collar Post Collective Facebook page since like 10 o'clock last night, <laughs> getting help with um, a, an AMA linking issue that I'm having. Yeah, the community is great about like answering questions yeah. or responding. Everybody just seems so engaged because it's a, I mean, it's a very technical community and there's a lot of questions. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is that it, people should feel free to ask any question. And I think everything in the world is like top down. So yeah. as co-president of the organization, I am willing to show that I don't know it all. And mm -hmm. we just want it to be a non-intimidating environment, yeah. both on Facebook and at our monthly meetups. Um, at, we bring accessibility to like everything that we do. We have a program called the Professional Development Accessibility Program mm -hmm. where we're funding low-income post-professionals to go to major industry events. Oh, cool. um, so that's changing. So those their, are expensive. Yes, they're mm -hmm. expensive. And who can afford to go to them? Um, yeah. It's pretty... Uh, homogenous mm -hmm. so we're really we're really changing that um, and we have a program called get hired where mm -hmm. we are accepting job placements from companies and mm -hmm. then any resumes that come in that aren't ready to to be passed along we mm -hmm. are connecting those people with mentors from within the industry to improve those resumes and and make them more viable for job placement so oh, we've awesome. already seen like 20 people whose resumes were not getting responses mm -hmm. um change and improve those resumes so that they they're actually getting work now so it's oh, it's like awesome. direct impact you know we yeah. just like identify problems and then and then really just make an environment where those where those problems don't have to persist. Yeah, um, no, that's amazing because yeah. it, it's hard being someone straight out of college or someone who wants to get into into filmmaking or editing. And maybe, you know, Avid or something, but you don't know. And then a job wants you to know Final Cut. And they're like, they won't even look at your resume if you haven't used Final Cut on a project before or say you're. Like myself, I'm, I'm in documentary and commercial work mostly. If I want to get into narrative, it's like, com it's like, wait, but you don't have experience in this, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, it is really tough. And there's no doubt about it that it is just hard to transition between fields and mm -hmm. um, or transitioning from being an assistant to being an editor. It's, yeah. it's always that first first time and you know for editors I mean every project I've had I've been like wow this is my first action-based documentary series reality show yeah this is my <laughs> first like pregnancy related documentary series show <laughs> this is my first so short narrative film this is you know it's always a first because every project is so unique mm -hmm. um I wouldn't have been able to transition from reality television to fiction mm -hmm. without the help of my friends. <laughs> okay. Um, you, it's, you have to build relationships and mm -hmm. those relationships have to be like organic to you. I think that's another thing that we're doing with the blue collar post collective. Like we are 
saying, come together and talk about life. And inevitably that will be talking about work and post, but Mm -hmm. it's not about networking. It's about like building real relationships that you feel comfortable with and collaborate with and then growing together to, to achieve your goals and help each other out, you know? Mm -hmm. So I owe a lot to it. Um, my, my co-president Katie Hinson, um, Mm -hmm. helped me immensely and I wouldn't be here in the place I'm in right now if it wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so so why did you and Katie start the Blue Collar Post Collective? Um, well, actually, Katie Hinson and James Reyes, who James Reyes is now on our board, mm-hmm. um, they started the Blue Collar Post Collective as a way for post-professionals to get together and come out of their caves um, to introduce the people from one post house to the people from another post house mm-hmm. because that just hadn't been happening. And, yeah. um, so that, it, that was a, you know, 10 people met, met up and hung out and it led to 20 and then 40. And I came along, I was probably like in the, in the 75 person mm-hmm. marker. I, I came along and, um, I just loved what they were doing. I, I started out as the sort of perfect member. I had just edited my first show and I um, was, a, was you know, needing support and advice in how to proceed um, and wanted a community. And um, so it was just really natural for me to engage with it mm-hmm. and I wanted to become a part of it. I had no idea what I had to offer. I was like, I don't, I don't have like <laughs> leadership skills or anything like that, but, um, I'm sure you do. It, I do now. <laughs> I do now. It's uh, I'm a professional hounder by now. Um, but yeah, it was really fun to see that, you know, even if you don't think you have anything to bring to the table, like mm-hmm. if you're willing to be a teammate and if you're willing to support other people, um, then that's invaluable and you can change the industry and change, you know, your own life Mm -hmm. and everything surrounding your goals. So you said that you mentioned the word team. Yeah. And that brings up a question for me because being an editor, you are part of a team, but you're not necessarily on set all the time. You're not really interacting as much with, the people who are part of the shooting of the say like a a reality show or something like that so you're not there as much but you are like a huge factor in the production process so tell me about what it's like to be an editor being on the team just for people who are not maybe not sure they want to get into it or like what what is it about being an editor and what's cool about it yeah it's it is interesting i think i think it's like i'm an only child Okay. But I love to hang out with my friends. <laughs> yeah. So, but then you like go that. home and you don't exactly. see them anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's like, so that's sort of similar to editing. You get to have your solitary time, but you're mm-hmm. an integral part of bringing a film or um, some a story to life. So it's I, I love that aspect of it because mm-hmm. I love having a room full of creative people and and all discussing how to craft this thing and Mm -hmm. and I love having my like quiet time to to just do all of that 
Um, I think in terms of being part of the, the team in, in a larger way, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big proponent of being involved in the pre-production process, um, and having a close relationship with the key players on set, mm-hmm. um, as an editor, I think it's, it's really valuable to be able to communicate with the DP, to communicate with the DIT and to communicate, of course, with the directors and producers of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, so as an editor, it's, it's still really important that you communicate with people and, that people want to sit in a room with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's like, it's important to, Yeah. Know. It's like the best yeah. of both worlds in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And you can visit set and remind yourself how happy you are that <laughs> other people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what does your conversation look like with the director or cinematographer um, in the pre-production process? Um, well, we'll go through, go through a script and really, uh, talk about everybody's ideas for the visual, um, look of it and Mm -hmm. the pacing of, of a certain scene. Um, it's great to sort of know what, what the director and the DP have in mind, um, before the shooting begins, sometimes during the shoot, um, questions will be asked, like, can this be handheld this moment or should we shoot it on sticks or Mm -hmm. is it going to cut if we do this or do we need to have like a green screen moment here? Like, can we composite this? Um, so it's nice to, to, to be involved before you just receive a drive and, Mm -hmm are like, what's in here? Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Yeah. And so do you have advice for people? Because I feel like when, you are, when you're learning editing, say on lynda.com or an editing class, they teach you all the technical parts of it. And they even might teach you some color correction and things like that. But no one really teaches how to organize a project. And it seems like a lot of different editors have their version of organization. But is there a standard or what's your preferred way? Um, I think it's, as an assistant editor, it's really important to um, do what you can to accommodate an editor's needs Mm -hmm. in terms of organization. Um, Each editor will have a different preference, um, which is great because when you don't know something, you can just say to the editor, what's your preference? You don't have to say, like, I don't know how to organize a bin because mm-hmm. there is no right way to organize a bin. Yeah. Um, so you learn their preferences and hopefully remember to do all of the things they prefer mm-hmm. in terms of just organizing a scene bin. Are you given a shot list from on set that says which were the best takes or are you just going through and picking on your own preference? I do receive uh, script notes that, mm-hmm. that, give us the preferred takes and um you know the footage goes to um a post house first okay and then the transcoded footage comes to us uh at the edit suite and um that footage already has selected takes burned into 
the metadata there. So mm-hmm. it's really n- a nice workflow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of course, when I was working on reality before that, like mm-hmm. we, there weren't takes one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was like all the footage for one scene or one day. Yeah, it would still be organized by scene. And then it would just usually be a, a two to four camera shoot. Mm-hmm. And the footage would just be chronological for that scene. I see. Um, mm-hmm. And in that the, case, are you given a script or? No, not no. at all. So On you reality, just go, you wing it. Script. Yeah. You That's just amazing. craft the story as you go along. Um, that is, uh, it's a lot of fun. I miss cutting Teen Mom 2. Oh, yeah? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I, I hope to, to, to go back and do some more of that. Um, yeah flexibility it's i think it's that's what's great about um bridging different aspects of the industry is Mm -hmm. is building more flexibility not necessarily like calling it a move up Mm -hmm. it's it's just creating creating more ability to move left and right yes Uh, flexibility is important because what an editor is in one one show is not what an editor is on a film or on a diff, on a reality show or on something else. You just said being a reality editor, you're pretty much producing, like you're post-producing the whole story on your own. And then meanwhile, if you go do a film, you're given like a tight script that you have to adhere to and you're given which takes and everything. So it's kind of being open to different workflows and different styles and being willing to do it all and seeing which genre you like best because i think being an editor in one genre is completely different from doing something else right and i mean um to their credit i have worked with amazing post producers in reality television mm-hmm. um who i i who you know that's what part of being on a team everybody adds something and mm-hmm. sometimes i'm left to cut a scene however i think it should be but other times it's really a team effort and um unlocking a scene and getting to its emotional core mm-hmm. um finding that path to making the strongest story um it's really fun to have partners you respect in doing that. And I, I, I have worked with some post producers, um, who are also my very close friends. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's like what I love about it. You know? Yeah. Cause that's the fun part of editing. I mean, there's all this technical stuff and we'll get into it, but <laughs> it's, you right. know, the fun part is telling the story in a creative way, in a different way, in your way, but still being in the style of the show and making the audience like it and feel something. Yeah, totally. It's like finding, a, finding the ways to, to unlock something. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a maze usually, no yeah. matter whether you have script notes. I mean, things on set as seen on set are, are often, you know, everything changes. Um, when you actually see it on screen and you actually mm-hmm. have start cutting it. So there's some trial and error. There's some decisions, you know, will just work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorite analogies um, was when Walter Murch said in the blink of an eye, um, 
where he says That's that a good book. these, um, yeah, it's a great book. It's surprisingly like, <laughs> it's like pretentious to talk about it, but it's actually like a really good and almost spiritual yeah. book. Um, and he says that like bees find their way back to the hive more easily when they go further away from the hive. Mm. So if you try to get bees back into the hive by like putting it like, two feet away from the herd of bees. It's not a herd of bees, but whatever the grouping is called. A hive. We know from Um, Beyonce, it's a hive. (laughs) (laughs) They won't find their way back. So it's like you have to really do something different sometimes to unlock the emotional potential of a scene. Um, Yeah. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Editing is like, very meticulous and very very detail oriented but then it also has to be like totally reckless and unexpected and creative so sometimes I find myself working on on an edit and I'm not reckless enough and I feel like okay well I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna sleep on it and tomorrow I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna butcher this (laughs) it's it's like a, a phrase that I use with my friend Kendra who's uh, another editor but we just it's like we have to be in butcher mode like you're just gonna destroy everything you did and yep. <laughs> just make it better <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and yeah walking away is so important yeah so it's it's very important it's important in arguments and in editing yes <laughs> just walk away <laughs> any decision making I guess you know yeah. like editing is decision making thousands of decisions a day and um I I would say I've become like a faster, maybe not better, but a faster decision maker since mm-hmm. since editing for this long. And it's like you just have to make one and and then you'll sort of find out whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, you have to try it. Yeah. And not be afraid to mess up your timeline. <laughs> just duplicate the <laughs> Duplicate. Sequ- just duplicate. <laughs> yes, organization, duplication. Yes. And um, then recklessness. Let's, <laughs> let's get technical what you're using avid yes you learned on avid i learned on final cut pro final cut 7 back okay. in 2004 okay um so that was the first first thing i worked on and mm-hmm. first thing i had um and i now i edit on avid um i really like avid a lot i i kind mm-hmm. of i like exactly what we just said I like the organization of it and mm-hmm. then I like I feel the most reckless in it yeah. as well like I kind of call it the grand piano of of NLEs because mm-hmm. I can just like play it it's just I love it I mm-hmm. love it and I have um done a few projects in Premiere mm-hmm. and I have avoided Final Cut 10 like yes. the plague so, I have not so touched have I. it yet um <laughs> And I really... It's not that bad. Premiere is very, very uh, user-friendly and, like, nice to look at. Um, And I I don't have anything against it, and I think it's going in a really great direction. I think Adobe, in general, like, really listens to its users. Yes. Um, But for some reason, Avid's... The Avid keyboard um, and the way I have my Avid set up is just so intuitive to me mm-hmm. um i just i just love it yeah i mean you memorize the actions and then it becomes like 
an extension of your hands at some point, you know? Right, right. And I can replicate, I replicate that as much as I can Mm -hmm. in Premiere. Every keystroke counts. Yeah, it does. And I think Premiere, they did a good job when, when they first had Premiere a few, maybe like two or three years ago when they were, when they were getting rid of Final Cut 7 and they brought in Final Cut 10 and ev- or X or whatever. <laughs> and everybody was just like, oh no, <laughs> I hate this. I hate Final Cut 10. And then all of a sudden Premiere was like, hey, well, it's okay. We're going to make Premiere as very, as close to Final Cut 7 as possible. And that's when I jumped on board. I was like, okay, let me try this. I actually like Premiere better now than Final Cut 7. Because, I mean, Final Cut 7 is obsolete at this point, but I do still use it for certain things. But yeah, I've used Avid before and the transition, what, what would you say the transition is from 7 to Final Cut 7 to Avid? It's not that bad. It's not that different. Final Cut 7 to Avid. I mean, Avid is not like just intuitive. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot to sort of learn in Avid. Mm-hmm. But once you learn it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And it sort of replicates a film process. Um, and I don't like that in a nostalgic way, but I yeah. I like how much sense that makes. Um, trimming is like the most important and final step in an edit um, mm-hmm. of picture. and And when you can't, just trim really, really intuitively and easily and toggle between yeah. sides, toggle between the head and the tail of a shot. Um, not that you can't do those things. In, you can do those things in Premiere and, yes. and Final Cut 7, but mm-hmm. I prefer how it is, how, how it works in Avid. You just got uh, used to it because I got used to 7 and then I, I was struggling a little bit when I started learning Premiere, but I definitely have like jumped over to Premiere for sure, especially the way it interacts with After Effects. And I don't know if you do any After Effects work, but um, the way Premiere and After Effects work together and with Photoshop is amazing because I use it all the time. Right. That dynamic link is Yeah, is key I know. For me. I love that. I love that when you know one Adobe product, then, then the user interface translates to the other programs. And I've done some work in After Effects. So mm-hmm. I do... I do really like that. I think that Premiere and in the past set Final Cut 7 have been really great for short or independent projects where mm-hmm. you're just working. But when you have a shared project yes. and you want to be working with 16 people on two different floors mm. um, or even just you want to be an assistant editor outside of the edit suite and the editor is working on another version of that project. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's what I, Avid is still superior in doing that. So, so it's updating your project to, for the other people to see at the same, at like live or both in the same project. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. There's no like, exporting and saving or like files you can drag and drop on the finder level anything you want Mm -hmm. in a in an avid project which is really great um i didn't know that i learned something (laughs) yeah and you know it's just there's a lot of of changing software all the time and and that's why i think like 
it's uh, there. There are workflow consultants. Um, my friend Boon Shin Ng is a workflow consultant, and like those people are important. DITs are important. Um, mm-hmm. There's people to manage the ever-changing flow of software and ex- uh, upgrading cameras, and mm-hmm. and to make sure that cameras can talk to the editing software mm-hmm. and. Um, I think it's important to, to try to learn all of that and keep up with that. Um, but also to enlist the help of all the roles that there are Mm -hmm. in the industry. So as a freelancer, do you have any advice for people who want to also freelance as an editor? Well, there's definitely a lot of advice I could give to somebody who wants to freelance the first thing to come to mind is building relationships and mm-hmm. to create different resumes for different types of work. Um, um, that's like a really important one for trying to transition between, um, say, narrative and reality um, mm-hmm. or to move up from assisting to editing is mm-hmm. have your assistant editor resume and then have your editor resume. So. Mm-hmm. There are career assistant editors. I really love assistant editing. Mm-hmm. I have very important role on the pilot that I'm working on and any show I work on. Mm-hmm. Um, don't see it as a step back to assistant edit to change change career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the difference, would you say, between an assistant editor and an editor? Well, the assistant editor is in charge of organizing the project and mm-hmm. supporting the editor in any way. It's a, it's a shifting role in that if you have a lot of VFX background, if you have an After Effects background, you mm-hmm. bring to the table whatever experience you have. So that's another piece of advice, I guess, is like you bring with you whatever experience you have from other jobs or other things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So it's the, not a formula to become an assistant editor. It's whatever whatever you like, just get good right. at it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and don't underestimate the experience you've had as a producer if you want to become an editor. Mm-hmm. Um or whatever experience you've had in in life, you, it will probably help you be better at whatever it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um so and the editor, you know, the priority is really to for them to be free to be creative and mm-hmm. to to really be focused on the storytelling so the less the less technical stuff that they have to do the more the yeah. assistant can take on um i i always offer to do a sound preliminary sound mix on scenes mm-hmm. um i had the opportunity to edit a lot of scenes on Feed the Beast, um, mm-hmm. do rough cuts on scenes, which is invaluable. And I, you know, I I love to get feedback. So while I'm doing dailies, maybe I will edit a scene and and tell the editor, like I told the editor on this show that I'm working on now that like, oh, I edited the scene. Do you mind taking a look at it? Um mm-hmm. I don't want to like cloud your vision if you've, yeah. and what he ended up saying is like he, he did his own edit and then before watching mine and then he like looked at both of ours and 
um, some of it, some of it was the same and some of it was different. And it was very, um, it was like a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, so that's always an experiment. Have two yeah. people edit the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. Um, yeah. and I love laying in music. I love working mm-hmm. as a music editor. I've been working with, um, Missy Cohen on the last couple of projects. Um, and, and she's an amazing music editor and I've learned a lot about, using music and when it should come in and when it shouldn't. And, and what I've been really surprised about is how, how in all of filmmaking, there isn't a right or wrong answer. It's, it's, there's so many ways to do things and people at the top levels are debating Mm -hmm. what the best way forward is. So it's really good to keep that in mind and, and Mm -hmm. it helps helps a lot to not think that there's one way to do things and that you don't know it (laughs) yeah editing is very um interpretive (laughs) yeah it can be so as a freelancer do you have your own avid at home are you working in a production company uh so i actually am starting an edit on a short film right now Mm -hmm. i actually rearranged my living room to be more of an office okay. rearranged my whole living room so that the tv is my second monitor wow um, nice i have like a standing desk a very desk mm-hmm. platform on top of a shelf mm-hmm. which holds my hard drives and then i can have a, my standing desk um which saves my life every day <laughs> yeah i'm basically going to be in a cave for the rest of August and September. Wow. Um, You'll be at home. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, I'll be at home when I'm not working full time and when I'm not at BCPC events. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, like I said, like life and work have to run together sometimes. And like, I want my home to be like comfortable, but also a place of work. So um it's yeah i'm really excited about this new office yeah slash living room editing is so intense for your back (laughs) (laughs) yes to sit down like when i first started editing and i was learning final cut i remember in brooklyn college like i would sit there for 10 hours and they'd close the they were like oh we're closing and i'm like oh my god (laughs) i've been here i didn't eat i didn't use the bathroom like how did I like go in a trance for 10 hours it's amazing it takes its toll in a while um you're it's hard to it's not really good for you to sit down for that long so you have a very desk do you find yourself using it most of the day or do you have any tips for people or other products people can use so that they're not in pain um yeah I think that everybody should have a standing desk opportunity. Um, Mm. There's actually like a $25, if that much, standing desk platform that you can put on any desk. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, I have, I have like a fancier version of that. I, I had been like just stacking crates and like Pelican cases on my desk. Yeah. um, At Teen Mom 2. Nice, MacGyver. People can attest to the fact that my my monitors were stacked on a bunch of reams of paper <laughs> and I had like all this weird junk that I made a standing desk out of. Oh, and I man. did that for about six months mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, I've earned 
a very desk. Um, yeah. As we know, reality television does pay mm-hmm. um, editing-wise. And so I, I bought myself a very desk, which was like $400. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, we both have the standing desks. The past year, I've been through a lot of physical up and down with my, with my back and having to switch from heavy cameras. I used to like shoot with 40-pound cameras. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course i said like 10 you know 10 hours of editing at a, at a time but i've down- completely downsized and kind of changed my um my workflow to be dslr and working with lighter cameras and and so what what did you want to say about about that well i just i think I've had my physical hurdles with um, just I have scoliosis and oh, I have like um, tetanitis, tet- tendonitis in my hips. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just important to try to foster the physical capabilities that you do have. Like if you can stand for a little while each day, that's great. If you whatever your range of motion is. Mm-hmm try to keep that up and that's yeah. challenging it's really challenging as an editor and um actually one of the things that really uh, helped motivate me was was uh fitness and post um and you know i i just yeah i don't i don't want to say that everybody should be running three miles a day and people have limitations mm-hmm. so um, whatever you can do for your well-being, whether it's dietary or meditation or physical mm-hmm. activities, is they it's all really important. Yeah, and there's a very meditative state to editing as well. I mean, I find it very relaxing to to be editing, but then of course, when you're dealing with physical pain from sitting in a chair, I mean, you got to do what's best for your body and and listen to that. And our field is very demanding physically. But there are so many different roles that anyone could find a place in any of those roles. You don't have to be an editor sitting in a chair all day. You don't have to be someone carrying a 40-pound camera or 20 pounds of equipment. It's, there's so, so much variety in the field. That's what I love about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and not being afraid to ask whoever you're working for to accommodate you in that way mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it's not a it's not annoying like it's i mean people have hearts like they understand yeah i think i mean i hope that standing desks are becoming um more available mm-hmm. and something that people can ask for without seeming um you know spoiled um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you wanted to say about being a female editor Editing at the beginning was considered uh, tedious women's work, um, mm-hmm. like sewing or, or cooking, mm-hmm. um, and and that changed somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. But um, I also like to think about the fact that like knitting was originally a man's art. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, Arabian men would knit fishing nets, and that's where that came from. So. Mm. I don't live my life in the confines of the gender binary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely defy anything or anyone that tries to make those, make those generalizations. It's important for everyone to be doing what they're doing and not try to pigeonhole each other based on gender. 
and then pigeonholing each other in terms of their their genre or their if they're an editor versus being a director or i mean if right. you know how to tell a story you know how to tell a story that's it like <laughs> right you know and it's, it's and so more than storytelling it's like how to interface with the different um workflows on different yeah. um different genres mm-hmm. so i think it's it's more than like oh you can't do that because you are this you can't do that because you're a woman you can't do that because you're a uh reality editor it's it's like learn about that thing and um everybody it. should learn about each other and learn about mm-hmm. different genres and then expand their their horizons awesome <laughs> I yeah. think the Blue Collar Post Collective is going to be awesome for for people that want to that want to get into editing. I mean, there are a lot of really experienced people in that Facebook group that I love chatting with. Mm. Um, but also for the people who really want to break in, I think the stuff you're doing is amazing. Yeah, we sort of call ourselves a gateway organization. Mm-hmm. Every aspect of post. Uh, is welcome at the Blue Collar Post Collective. And actually, we consider ourselves like a bridge between production and post. So mm-hmm. people who are looking for collaborators and people who are in production are are also welcome. It's it's just a community of supportive people who who believe that's the right thing to do for each other. And, yeah. um, you know, it's grown from 20 people hanging out to nearly 3,000 people worldwide. Um, we're the largest post-specific organization and we just um, opened in LA. We just launched in LA. Uh, so we have meetups in LA oh, nice. and we have monthly meetups in New York. And mm-hmm. our meetups are like the hub of post discourse, both in LA and New York. And mm-hmm. we're really spreading the love for sure. And it's free. And yes. it's free. Awesome. Free to join. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's all volunteer run, and we, you know, encourage our members to um, engage in the community and be leaders, Mm -hmm. and all of our events are moderated by members, so we really, like, make everything accessible and representative. You can see Janice's work at JaniceVogel.com and join the Blue Collar Post Collective for free at BlueCollarPostCollective.com or on their Facebook group. I'll put all the links in the description below. As for me, I'm filmmaker, artist, and your host, Laura Mioli. You can connect with me getting creative tips and inspiration on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Loudavision. And you can listen to more of these podcasts, read my blog, watch my videos, and contact me. Just go to loudavision.com and subscribe to my email list to be the first to hear all new episodes. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Indubians and future friends. I am T. Sterling Watson from the Indu Podcast, and I invite you to stop by and press play. The Indu Podcast is a little bit of everything, just like myself. Topics include entertainment, nerd culture, pop culture, intellectual chats, spirituality, positivity, music, or magic, if I misread my own handwriting. You can find me on iTunes, Indu.com, and Indu.podbean.com. The podcast and this ad is a 3SFX production.